We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Before we bring in today's guest, who is rare and to go, we've already been chatting. I did just want to do a quick um, programming note. So um, as you guys listen, about 10 days prior, we introduced a new podcast that I'm going to be doing once a month called Perpetual Chess, Chess Books Recaptured. Uh, the first one was on November 15th. Hopefully a lot of you heard it. Uh, the first one was with Sam Copeland of Chess.com talking about the life and games of Mikhail Tall. I'm happy to report that uh, everyone who's reached out to me has really enjoyed it. So it's definitely uh, all systems go with this new monthly podcast. I just wanted to clarify a couple things that might not have been clear on the first podcast, which is um, that one's going to stay on this feed for the foreseeable future. So you don't have to subscribe to another podcast. It'll come in once a month. It's going to be released on the third Friday of each month. So look for the next one on December 16th. I'm currently brainstorming what we're going to do next and with whom, but I'm happy to report. I've got some volunteers lined up, so it should be fun. And the other thing was I did need to issue a retraction 
from Sam and I's conversation about the life and games of Mikhail Tal. So we we had mentioned that uh, Yaakov Domsky, the esteemed uh, chess journalist, was a co-author of the life and games of Tal. And upon further digging, there's no real evidence of that. Uh, you know, it says it some places on the internet, but his name is not in the book, and his name is listed as a co-author of a few other books with Mikhail Tal. So I think we made a mistake there, and I apologize for that. I don't think it changes much of the substance of the conversation, um, but I did want to fall on my sword there. So sorry about that, guys. But with that out of the way, let's get to this week's episode. So I'm excited for a return guest, someone who was back in the early days of Perpetual Chess, came on, and I was excited then, and I'm excited now. He got his start as a chess YouTuber. He, of course, is a strong chess player, international master, a teacher, but these days he's become best known as a chess author. Uh, His book, Keep It Simple 1E4, was the 2018 Chess Pub Book of the Year, and he's written eight courses for Chessable, including Hot Off the Presses, uh, Fight Like Magnus the Sicilian, um, which I have checked out and greatly enjoyed. It's really an impressive work. Um, So without further ado, I would like to reintroduce friend of the show. I am Christoph Zalecki. Christoph, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, Ben. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. And as I've mentioned, been checking out this book. I was really impressed with uh, the push that Chessable put behind it and uh, the depth of the course. And um, yeah, it's... uh, it's just uh it's really a pleasure to read and I'm I'm into the opening. I mean the Sveshnikov Sicilian uh, suits my style and of course it piqued my interest seeing Magnus trotted out there against Caruana so I was really happy when I heard that you were going to do this. So uh when did you make the decision that that you were going to, this was going to be your next chessable course? Um I think we decided that I should do this in July or August. It's not so long ago because I was writing Cupid Simple D4, that was the one before, and uh, that was released in June, and we didn't plan beforehand, because um, after you have completed a course and it is released, uh, you really need like a couple of weeks off. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a, um, such a, um, yeah, there's so much stress involved, yeah, right before the release, it's, it's probably difficult to imagine if you're not doing it yourself, and after that you just need... Um, a bit of vacation and like in July um, there were two or three options um, what I could do and um, then I don't even know who came up with the idea um, there was the idea to to do this um, yeah Sicilian course based on Magnus's opening choices it is a complete Sicilian not just just the Sveshnikov that is of course the core with every Sicilian course you need to have something in the open Sicilian but it also has the, all the sidelines down to um, the real rare moves on move two and the gambits, whatever white can play, which is almost never played on the highest level. So for the rare lines, you oftentimes don't have a single game. Magnus has never played, let's say, against the wing gambit in the Sicilian. Right. No, nobody nobody tried that. Uh, there's actually uh, one line in the wing gambit that is not so terrible for white, funny enough, but it still was never played against him. Um, and for those for those lines, of course, I had to um, research um, my own suggestions. I couldn't rely on Magnus's games. For all the other main choices, I, I just checked what does Magnus play and uh, took that as the blueprint, so to say. In, in some cases, um, I deviate, but only relatively late 
in the game. Let's say there are cases on move 14, move 15, when um, there was just one single game that he has played. And um, there were cases where he chose um, a continuation that was very uh, solid and certainly theoretically sound, but it would just be um, a draw. Or it would be a situation where um, maybe um, the winning chances would be relatively slim. And if um, the alternative seemed completely sound to me and exciting, then I went for this one. Because it, it's called fight and not like draw. Right. So, so, and I think this is this is legit, legitimate. I mean, I'm giving the move that Magnus played and say, okay, this is a solid move, let's say, and it's certainly not a bad one. He played it, but um, please consider this alternative that um, might be more exciting for your own game. So, in these cases, I decided to to deviate. Yeah, you do a nice job generally, I would say, giving the appropriate level of uh, detail about how you decided on a certain move, because obviously you're looking at Magnus's games, but you're also using engines a, a great amount, as as Magnus and Peter Hein Nielsen and his team surely are as well. So, so what goes into that? How do you how do you utilize engines these days in writing a modern opening course? Um, yeah, there are various things that um, that have changed also over over the years um, that I'm writing uh, opening content, um, print books, online videos. Uh, there have been some changes. I've started out um, when I started out with the first book in 2015. It was released the Nimsa Boga book. Um, that was solely um, done with engine analysis assistance um, on a just on a local computer, just a desktop. Um, or at times maybe even a notebook when I was uh, somehow traveling and still working on it. Um, and this nowadays has changed quite quite dramatically because I'm using um, exclusively um, cloud engines. I use those um, engines that have like 30 cores or something like that or 40, whatever it is. I mean, I think the difference is not that great anymore once you reach these kind of levels. Um, and um, I also... Um, Keep it simple, D4 was the first course that used Lila Zero as an engine. That was also new and pretty exciting, I have to say, because that was a pretty, um, yeah, it was a pretty, um, re it was a revelation at times, yeah, what, what the engine was coming up. Yeah, that Lila is sometimes coming up with uh, suggestions that uh, Stockfish wouldn't even consider after two minutes. But after two minutes, it gets there. But it's, it's a move that Lila is coming up with after five seconds. And this is sometimes uh, really crazy because you you see a Lila suggestion and it gives a pretty strong evaluation in favor of one side. I mean, I'm not talking plus five or something, but let's say plus well, you know, 0 0.7, 0 0.8, something that is significant and Stockfish is on zero. And then if you let Stockfish run for two minutes, it's getting there sometimes. Yeah? It, yeah. It, it's really fascinating. And uh, some of the suggestions uh, also felt, and this is what sounds a bit spooky, uh, felt incredibly human to me, what Lila is suggesting, which, which, which is spooky, really, because it, it's supposed to be this yeah, self-learning, neural, somewhat mysterious entity <laughs> that should supposed to be closer to a human player, and it really is in times. So that was um, very fascinating to me. So I use um, I use um, a mostly Lila and a traditional Stockfish-based engine for analysis. What um, I used for the first time, and this is actually a little bit embarrassing <laughs> for the Magnus course, for the first time I now used also correspondence games as um, as um, 
as a, a researching field. I never did that before, which is really an omission because, of course, correspondence players nowadays, um, yeah, they have fantastically high level of play as they all use their computers on a very, very um, deep deep search so if you there are there are some pretty um pretty impressive um cases where you can use um the correspondence games um for example there was one mainline in the sveshnikov that um on move 20 which is amazing it had 43 games in the in my wow. correspondence chess database and <laughs> of those 43 games white did not win a single game huh. not a single one but black won i don't know I, I, I have to guess, let's say eight or nine. Black won a couple and white won zero. And if you have a statistic like that with, with uh, modern games from 2017, 16, something like that, you pretty much know that the line should be fine. There shouldn't be a big issue there. Um, of course, this is a very, in the truest sense, theoretical argument because, well, who's reaching move 20? Right. It, it, it might happen, um, but it's not very likely to happen. But, um, in an opening that is so excessively sharp as some lines are in the Sveshnikov, you kind of have to dig that deep um, just for the, let's say, scientific proof that it works. It's not so relevant for players, I think, to know, but you need to have it in there just to show, okay, we are three points down, but please don't, yeah, <laughs> run away in panic, run away in panic. <laughs> yeah. You're fine. Yeah, just, 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 just relax. You're fine. There's a proof that it works. And I think um, this has to be in there. You cannot stop in a super dramatic position and say, mm, nothing to see, Emma, you're, you're fine. <laughs> right. uh, you cannot do that. You have to at least have it in. Um, and this is actually um, something that I feel is very useful um, on, on the Chessable platform where I'm publishing the courses, that you can actually pause single lines in your learning process or you can cut off at a certain point. You can say, okay, stop at move 20 or stop at move 17. Yeah, I don't want to look any deeper. And you can do that on the platform. You can basically customize the depth that you want to have your um, material presented. And this is, I think, very helpful because um, then according to your level, you can adjust how much you actually got get to see. Yeah. This is, I think, that's very helpful. Yeah, I would go so far as to say club players definitely should make use of that setting. Um, it's, otherwise, it's just too much to memorize. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. Um, on the other hand, um, one thing that you have to keep in mind, that for an opening like the Sveshnikov, um, the first eight moves are basically played all of the time. There's, okay, there's 795, but this is like a tabia yeah, on move eight or nine. And even then, if White chooses to take, I mean, we're getting very much into specific lines, but there are some cases where the theory very arguably starts at move 13. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you just put the first couple of moves on the board, and then you go from there, and then there is a split. This actually makes, I think, the Sveshnikov one of the easiest Sicilians to learn. And there isn't, I think there is even a book out, yeah, called The Easiest Sicilian, and it's about the Sveshnikov. I think this is pretty much true, because you only have a couple of, absolute main lines that are theory heavy um, and there's not that much more this is a huge difference for example to the Nidorf which is the other big system. yeah that's what I was thinking of yeah, yeah. Six, and in, six moves for white on move six yeah yeah, yeah six you better say 16 <laughs> 
No, no, really. Um, I mean, I have been there. I've had to prepare many people um, in the night off with white. And uh, on move six, I mean, I've I, I know persons who play five or six moves there, and there are there are more. I mean, if you go through that, like bishop e two, bishop c four, bishop g five, f four, and I mean, um, bishop e three, f three, a three, h three, rook g one, c three, h yeah, h h four. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Basically, everything that's legal has been tried. <laughs> yeah, so, and I mean, I'm not saying you need to know something against all of these moves, but some are pretty, are tricky. And this is not um, happening so much in the Sveshnikov. I think one reason for that is simply that White's choice is limited due to all the knight moves that he has to play early on, yeah? Knight f3 d4 b5 a3 so white's position loses so much uh, dynamism there is not that much choice i mean white is basically trading in all those dynamic um, disadvantages for that big d5 square and uh, this limits white a lot he, he has to get organized at first and um, therefore you don't have much leeway with with like moves like a3 h3 <laughs> those smallish right. moves yeah that you can sometimes play in other lines that doesn't really work out there yeah, gets you closer to the first time control play, playing the Sveshnikov. Yeah, I sometimes wonder yeah, if uh, uh, the, the top-level players, uh, they have such a deep opening knowledge. Um, I sometimes wonder how um, how deep um, the preparation is. This is also something that uh, I always feel like a funny, um, a funny part of the ongoing discussion about time control uh, that, that is rarely mentioned, that actually people get more and more time in their games simply because the opening theory is expanding so much that the actual time that they spend on decisions is getting longer and longer. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially, especially at the top levels. In particular there. And um, this is um, a kind of a pet peeve of mine. I also, I'm not quite as radical as Greg is, like Rick Shahadi is, with reducing the time control, but I think on the top level, you can easily, easily take away like 30 minutes from them and it wouldn't make a big difference. Yeah. Because yeah. then they have the situation like what they have actual decision time per move would be the same thing as it was like 20 years ago when the theory was, I'm just making it up, stopping on move 12 and nowadays they're on move 18 or so. And those six moves that they have gained basically in knowledge, they don't really have to think about anymore. And um, this is something that should be kept in, in mind a little bit and is rarely mentioned. Yeah. This doesn't apply much for amateurs, of course. There, there hasn't been a huge difference. Of course, they, are, they, they, they know more theory nowadays than they did before, but it's not so much of a factor. But on the top level, I mean, so sometimes I think half the games are out of memory. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And even at the amateur level, with with things like chessable available, I mean, um, uh, an amateur player's ability to remember lines has certainly increased, even if they're not going as deep as the professionals. Yeah, for sure. The the the, the tools have been uh, have become better, more accessible, and uh, yeah, they are used. Um, you rarely see, really nowadays, rarely see um, people. Let's say if you, if you, I'm just saying, like let's say 2000 level, you rarely see people playing really bad opening there. It it really doesn't happen all that much. Yeah. Maybe there's something inaccurate, yeah, but it it won't be trash. It's yeah. just, it doesn't happen that much anymore. It, at least if they work on their chess and they are willing to do something on it, the tools are there and they can get there to play really, really good opening. Yeah. I mean, in the Sveshnikov, obviously, 
is right there at the top being that Magnus chose it on the biggest stage. I mean, that, that in itself is quite a stamp of approval. So, I mean, it seems like based on what you said about your, your conversations with the folks at Chessable in determining sort of top-down approach to what course to do next. So you, you, you did it based on Magnus picking it. So as you dug into the course, w- without going into too many actual theoretical lines, what, what proved to be the, the most testing things that White can do against the, the Sicilian generally and the Sveshnikov, or and or the Sveshnikov particularly. Mm. I think the theoretical status um, is is very okay, very okay for black. In the in the absolute main lines, I don't see anything really. Like in the in the open Sicilian Sveshnikov, I don't see much. Um, I think the most interesting line, what I would probably recommend to white players, if you want to play. The open Sicilian, I would probably recommend uh, the seven knight d5 line, mm-hmm. the one that Caruana played in the match three times, no, four times if you include the tiebreak. Um, this is not, I think, a very um, traditional open Sicilian in a way because with the knight coming to d5, immediately a pawn gets to d5. Okay, very, we're getting very specific here on a on a podcast that is like uh, right. speech only. Um, but I think um, if you look at the match, basically, and you check um, uh, Fabiano, what Fabiano played, um, this also has become quite fashionable for White. And I think this is something that I would look into, not necessarily because it would give a theoretical edge, but it gets very interesting games. I think it gets interesting tense games without actually being so much dependent on like move by move knowledge you can like look at the first let's say 12 13 moves and um yeah get get the idea how how the play unfolds and then i think you're good to go and play it um i think one thing that um i really recognized during the research for the course is that in particular magnus he has uh, made this i think conscious decision um in all the sidelines to play for structures where his center is reasonably safe and then he wants to shift the focus to the king side and actually get a king side attack. Hmm. This is something that um, is very, very apparent if you check his uh, his choices. He's, for example, um, in all the sidelines that don't have d4. So let's say, um, um, in particular, if you look at e4, c5, knight f3, knight c6, there's a line knight c3, the delayed open, so to say, yeah, where white delays d4 for, for one move. And Magnus plays e5, so he puts pawns on e5 and c5, the so-called Botvinnik center. And this is what he tries all of the time, if possible. He plays like that in the Rosolimo and in other lines that have this closed nature, and he wants to freeze the center and then play f5, g5, and get the attack going. So I think this is also maybe a result of the study um, of the Lila Zero engine right. that has told us how dangerous, I mean, it sounds so basic because it's, this is how they played in the 19th, 19th century. You should go at the king. Right. You know, I mean, the king is, uh, that, 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 that's how the, in, in, in German we say, uh, that's where you score the goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. 
Yeah, and <laughs> you have to go there. And this is what happens a lot in his games. Yeah, you have to check those games. There's a great game that he played against Peter Swidler yeah, in the Granke tournament 2019 that ended with this uh, spectacular mate. Yeah, Peter allowed a mate oh, right. with pawns on H2 and G2. This is maybe people have seen the final position quite often, I think. And this is from one of those lines where he managed to close down the center. Nothing happened there. And then he shifted the piece over to the king side and delivered... Uh, delivered a mating attack. This is, of course, also what happens a lot in the Sveshnikov main lines, that black is basically throwing the kitchen sink at the white king. And I think um, one of the reasons why this was a consideration um, was maybe really what uh, what happened here with Alpha Zero and uh, just thinking more about um, very, very abstract-sounding game concepts, Yeah, like shift more pieces towards the king even for just for practical reasons, because it is just dangerous to attack the king. I know it's what you tell little children when, like, the king is important, but it's something that is rarely, I think, considered on a meta level when you choose openings. And the Sveshnikov and this way of, inter, like, an interpretation of the Sicilian is really different to other Sicilians. If you think about this uh, and to compare it, to um, lines like, let's say, the Nidorf, uh, there you oftentimes provoke white, basically, to attack your king, and then you go for a counterattack. And the Sveshnikov is not like that at all. You just say, okay, my queen side is going to be a bit weak, and maybe you win a pawn, but I'm still going to throw everything I have at your king. And this is often going to be successful, even if maybe an engine says, uh, this attack shouldn't work, but it will often work in a practical game. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the influence um you know Alpha Zero obviously also probably played a role although they they and Leela are kind of I don't know. I don't know if I'd say connected at the hip, but certainly um come from a similar schools of engine thought. <laughs> um Yeah, sure. I think I mean I'm not really honestly, I'm not really um a huge expert in understanding how those things work. Um I just use them. Yeah. I yeah, just like, use them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not an expert either by any means, but we've got we've got a lot to talk about with the course. So I actually, um, Christoph, wanted to dive into a question from a supporter of the podcast and fellow chessable course author Han Shoot. Um, and so he he mentions, and I agree with this. So Han, he it's a two part question, but I just want to give you the first half now, which is Han says, I think the quick starter guide is a great idea. Um, how did Christoph come up with the idea and decide to include it? And of course, if you could explain what the quick starter guide in, in your course is first, that would be helpful. Yeah, thank you very much for the question. I think, um, indeed, I'm very, very happy that we came up with that. I'm not quite sure who did that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is something nowadays, it's much of it's much more of a team effort than just one person. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly on the, on the page that I'm, I have written the whole thing. But many concepts and ideas around it are just done by a team. The quick starter guide for this course basically means that if you look at the overall course on Chessable, we have 450-something variations that that you can learn overall. And uh, what I did is I, I picked the um, 40 most important ones, like the, the main lines and the ones that I think show the key ideas for the specific a subset of lines the best and we I compiled that to one single chapter and this is basically the kickoff chapter of the course where in one in a condensed form you see the whole thing like you see what are the main lines actually 
what is important, what is not so important. And it should provide you with enough um, ammunition, so to say, to just play it straight away. Just play it in, in a game that is maybe where you're not afraid maybe to make a mistake and lose. Yeah, It's probably not the best idea to employ it in your most important game ever. <laughs> maybe right. do something uh, that you know, uh, know in and out uh, um, there. But if you just say, I want to get into this and I want to, let's say, play a Blitz game online or something, then if you look at the quick starter, it's 40 lines and it's also, it's a little bit cut. It's not like down to move 30 every single time. Just It's a condensed version, basically, of the course. And it also has this, uh, if you get it with the video edition, it's had two hours, basically, um, me telling you everything you need to know to get started with the thing. And I think this is very helpful. Um, one thing that is um, pretty clear, and it applies to print books and online courses, is you have a chapter, some sort of chapter structure in every single book. And if you if you open up the book, you think, okay, what should I check first? And you don't quite know. You know what maybe the main line is, but I think it's best to actually get the whole thing on the road, to know a little bit of everything, so that you're not completely blank if someone plays um, a certain variation. Like, I mean, let's say you start with the sidelines. So you learn, okay, this is the wing gambit and this is the Smith-Mora gambit and this is whatever, the closed. And then you're still like maybe a week ago, a week away from seeing what the actual Sveshnikov looks like. So with the quick starter, you see a little bit of everything and it gets you at exactly what it is. It gets you started to, um, to play it in games and enjoy it right away. Um, before actually looking at four four hundred something lines, and um, yeah, I think I think it's a good one, and I will definitely have this in future courses as well. I'm actually thinking about if somebody is listening who has um, older courses of mine, I'm actually thinking of um, um, creating that for older courses as well. Yeah. So as an additional content, it's a bit difficult actually for the E4 and D4 courses because you have to look at so many replies that it's a bit difficult to, to choose the essential ones that should be in a in a quick starter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I really loved it too. I mean obviously it's great for great for players and as you say you can you can read through that in a few hours and then get in there and play some blitz and take things from there. But it's great for podcast hosts too, Christoph, because when I, you know, I always try to read my guest books, but in this case, I, I read the whole quick starter guide and I was like, well, you know, I probably don't need to memorize 20 moves of theory for, for this podcast. So it was a, it was a perfect thing for me to get like an overview of the opening of the opening without getting too deep in the weeds. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, um, it, it's a good thing to start with. And I think um, also, I mean, there are people, people are different, but um, I, I'm the kind of person, if I if I get any new product, let's say, I don't know, a, a smartphone or whatever it is, any kind of technical device, I never read the manual. Do you read the manual? No, yeah. Ne- never, I never do that. I want to play with it right away. And okay, it's a bit difficult to say, uh, play with the opening right away, but this, this, this is at least a very condensed way let's say take uh, take two hours or whatever you need everybody is different there but then you need i think the basic um the basic um, lines we we also for this course we have um, um a promo video there in two parts which is very close to the quick starter actually so if you want to get an overview of the course um there is there are two hours free that you can watch and uh, this is a pretty much good overview of the sicilian so and Chesterville has a short and sweet Magnus Sicilian as well. So there are many 
um, ex extracts of the course where you can get a really good picture of you, uh, if you might like it or not. I, I, I honestly think that um, many people should like it because it's such an entertaining opening. It was, it was uh, absolutely fun to write it. I, mean, I really have to say that uh, it was uh, maybe the most enjoyable book to write because some of the lines are so so crazy looking yeah. <laughs> and really, really fun to, to, to analyze. Um, yeah. So I think it could be attractive to, to many, many players. Yeah, it's it's so much fun for Black, and it's you know as you say it's um it's doing well enough theoretically that that my main concern is just that the main line against two knight c six is just going to be the Rosalimo, and if you play this mm -hmm. if you play this Feshnikov, like you you'll get to play it maybe I don't know forty fifty percent of the time. That's my concern. Do you think that's a valid concern? Absolutely, yeah, it is. I think the the Rosolimo is three um, bishop b5 it's it is it is already quite popular even on on let's say club level or or amateur level and uh, i mean i had this in my e4 book right for whites <laughs> for some reason um i think um it's perfectly reasonable to play that and you probably will get it more and more um however i don't think that um this line is really giving white an objective advantage it just gets the game into somewhat um yeah a slower kind of pace certainly right. yeah, it's not as exciting even though i think um depending on how well white is um is knowing the lines and the concepts you can still play i'm i'm, I'm recommending basically again what what magnus has done in many games he played g6 most of the time against it and then tried to build up this botvinnik center with e5 and in some games he really gets some he got some action with f5 and uh, things were heating up pretty quickly there as well so there are ways to make it uh, make it exciting um what I think um, against the Rosolimo, what is in Black's favor in some ways, that um, you have a pretty wide choice what you can play against it. Um, obviously now for a course, and it's a repertoire, not a, a full overview of every single possibility, um, but Black has a wide choice. You can go G6 and E6 as the main lines, um, and even within those, you can actually vary quite a bit. I think the most dangerous line probably is, is bishop b5, g6, and the immediate capture on c6. This is what you see most of the time. And there even you have this fundamental choice of d takes or b takes. I went for d takes because if you look at Magnus's games, he played at 80% of the time, maybe 90% of the time. But b takes is perfectly valid and was also played by him. Um, and I had to make some of those judgment calls yeah, when he played both lines. So both lines have their stamp of approval, and then I had to pick one. But that means that the reader has also options. As usual, you don't need to copy every single line that is suggested. If you like b takes c6 there, why not go for that? And um, you can be a, easily a moving target there. You can play many different lines that all are okay, but... Again, they're not so exciting. As yeah, it's just, it's just a totally it different style of game. And I mean, it's good that Magnus yeah. was able to liven things up a little bit. But Yeah, um, what, what I think, however, um, in the Rosolimo is that um, it's a different type of game, but it is the kind of game where there are not many trades going on. Yeah, that's like, true. I mean, it is, a, it is a full position. It is a sometimes slower position, but it is something where probably you can still, let's say, yeah, get 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 uh, get a spicy dinner at the end. It just yeah. takes longer to cook. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
yeah, something like that uh, is maybe a good uh, way to see it. It's often just uh, also a matter of attitude. Yeah? If you want to get some fight on the board, you will get it there. Um, in general, I think um, what I felt was um, it was a good experience that many of the even let's say the Rosolimo is not a sideline. This is a, a complete mainline nowadays. But um, what was good to see is how harmless many of the sidelines are, like on move two, something lines like, let's say, 2C3, the Alapine or the closed or the lines that are played very often on the club level, they are really pretty harmless. Mm-hmm. And like, I think can get a good game even without knowing all that much. And I made a pretty um, clear choice not to um, overcover the the sidelines i I wanted to give good uh, of course good ideas against them but um i didn't want to go to a move 20 in the close sicilian i don't think that makes any sense black is pretty much equalizing quickly and i think this is um is good to know and often um it's it's actually interesting it's not like it's boring right yeah um, cool. Well, just a, a little bit more on on the course um, before we move on to other things, Christoph. Um, one thing was I I wanted to, as a sort of prelude to mention that it was cool to see that the Magnus uh, came down from his mountaintop and tweeted about your course, sending a recommendation. Of course, uh, you know Chess Twenty Four, which Magnus uh, Magnus's company now co owns, and Chessable are affiliated, but. Um, I, you wouldn't think that he would lend his name to something if he thought it was a crap product nonetheless. So um, that was cool to see just as someone who's friendly with you and always rooting for you guys. And with that prelude out of the way, uh, here's um, the second part of Hans Schutz's question. He asks, uh, what kind of feedback did Peter Hein Nielsen and Magnus Carlsen provide on the Fight Like Magnus course? Did they actually look at the variations or was it more generic? Um, I, I had to, I, that was actually something that um, this whole, um, the whole way it is presented now, um, that was not yet set in stone like three weeks ago. It wasn't really planned that far in advance. We had the we had the course on the way, uh, and then all of a sudden the idea came up. Okay, uh, what, what if we really uh, ask Magnus about it? Like uh, if he wants to um, wants to be there more exposed and really lend his um, his name there. Um, and yeah, well, I, I just, I compiled or I, I have the PGN file ready with all the lines and all the pros and, um, it was sent to, to, to team Carlson and they checked it. I, I, obviously I cannot tell you how long they did that. I mean, they really made a check. It, it was not like a, a marketing stunt that he's just on the, <laughs> or he is really, um, he, they really checked it. And, um, I mean, I'm not particularly surprised that it is okay. I mean, I put so much work into it. I, w- I would be really shocked if they said, okay, you know, this is complete nonsense. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's based on his moves and his, uh, his uh, line selection. So, um, while certainly there can be, um, uh, single, I don't know, wrong, um, assessments there and so on. I don't think the general, uh, product is flawed and that's pretty much not possible. So I got some, just a generally good feedback. They didn't really send a huge text like, okay, that was good. That was not so good. Yeah. It was just like, okay, good stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And I know in the book, there were certain, certain parts where you're trying to sort of parse what he would do because like there might be a certain line where he hasn't, you know, it's a topical line, but he, he hasn't faced it, something like that. But, mm, but, yeah. but as, as you say, having, having these 3,500 engines to, <laughs> to consult in those situations is certainly helpful. Yeah, definitely. But still, in some cases, you you can only guess. Yeah, there there are even some 
reasonably, not lot super main lines, but fairly popular lines, that he never got on the board. And um, I was surprised in one or two cases that nobody tried that. Not that it seemed super threatening, but like compared to some other lines where I felt like, oh my God, this is so harmless. Why are they doing that? Yeah, I felt, mm, why not try this and that? But they never did. And in those cases, um, I had to come up with um, yeah, my, my own ideas. But um, the important thing for those lines is they, they should be somewhat similar to the spirit of the other ones. So they shouldn't be totally different. And um, I think that is the most important thing, that people have some some kind of consistent pattern or, or set of ideas that ties the whole thing together. And this is most important uh, in the in the line selection for for those lines. Yeah. Well, I mean, just just in closing on this course, I would say listeners definitely uh, give it a look. And as Christoph has said, if if you're unsure, there's plenty of free material to check out and evaluate. But I'm I really I really uh, enjoyed enjoyed this book. And, uh, you know, it's especially with the keep it simple it, it made me want to just hop online and play chess it just made me want to try it out so mission accomplished on your part guys we're going to take a quick break just to give you another nudge to go to chessable as soon as you can here's two reasons why number one chessable is currently offering a free short and sweet course on magnus carlson's sicilian so if you're interested in what i am selecki's been discussing there's a mini version of the course that you can download for free and get your feet wet did you guys know that magnus carlson hasn't lost a classical game playing the sicilian since 2011 so in order to check that out go to chessable.com slash free dash sicilian i'll link to that in the show description of course reason number two now through November 29th, while you're on the site, you might notice Chessable's having their big Black Friday super sale. There's discounts of up to 50% on courses like Keep It Simple E4, The Woodpecker Method, and 100 Endgames You Must Know. So log on to chessable.com courses to pick up a bargain while it lasts and start learning the Chessable way. So pivoting subjects, Christoph, um, or it's a, it's a small pivot, I would say, but I wanted to talk a little bit more generally about the topic of chess courses and chess books. I feel like you're um, you're in a unique position because you've been you've been working hard for Chessable, putting out some great content, and of course, uh, listeners should check out if you haven't already. Our, our very early interview, you were my sixth guest. I was so excited when you agreed to come on. I didn't didn't know you at all. And then I, I re-listened to the conversation, and I think it holds up really well. Um, it gives a lot of background into how you built your chess career and how you made a name for yourself. So if you any newer listeners should go back and listen to that. But one thing that you did, Christoph, that's unique is you made your chessable course, and then it, the Keep It Simple E4 course was so well-received that New in Chess reached out to you and turned it into a print book. And then the print book, uh won, won um book of the year award so it's um you know that's sort of a, a unique way in and gives sort of a unique springboard to talk about the the direction that chess content is going so uh, i wanted to read a question from another chessable course author and supporter of the show fm andre terakov who wrote in and asked so here's andre's words he says, oh, and thank you for the support, Andre, by the way. Um, it says, so Andre says, it seems like we're witnessing a paradigm shift in the preferred mechanisms of learning. In the past, the only ways to learn chess were coaches and books. Today, the most popular way of learning chess seems to be online tools like Chessable, YouTube videos, Twitch streams, not to mention endless sessions of online blitz or bullet. What are the pros and cons of these options in your opinion? And do you think that chess books are a dying breed? Yeah. Um, yeah, the dying breed is probably uh, too much, too much to say. 
Um, but I do think that um, as you as you see, as I probably should uh, should start differently. Um, you nowadays you have different different kind of people, of course, playing chess. You have the younger generation who grew up with with computers, with smartphones, and things like that. And I think for them, it's much more natural to use an online resource, like a video or like an interactive opening course on Chessable, for example. For them, it's much more natural to use that. But for 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 the somewhat older generation, let's say the you're a little bit younger than than I am, right? I think a few years. I'm 42. Yeah. yeah, so like three years difference, not much. Like we are maybe on that. It's kind of we're not uh, pre-digital, but I mean it depends. Yeah, I mean our peers sometimes they really are not much of computer persons, but some are. And yeah, but if you look at like somewhat older, let's say 50 year olds or 60 year olds, they are much more closer to a book. It's very difficult to convince them in some way to try like an interactive learning tool. But if you go, the younger you go, the more natural it becomes for them. And I think over time, I think um, the use the use of books will go a little bit, uh, will go lower because for them it's pretty much um, strange to use, to, to use a book. It's just not the natural way of doing things. Um, and this is not actually, by the way, something that I want to... Um, um, say see as positive or negative. It's just I think it's just what, it's just what's going to happen. Right. It's a natural development in some way. Um, in some cases, I think um, the the way um, it is done online is actually really better than with a print book. For example, for for chess opening content, I'm really very confidently um, on the page that um, it's better to do it online. I really think you you get to learn more in, in in a certain period of time, and the tools are just so much better. Yeah, you can actually see the board with every variation pretty much quickly. You don't have to set it on the actual chessboard. I mean, if you have a print book and you you really um, set set the, the board and pieces and so on, it takes a long time, and it's very difficult to follow um, lines. Um, that are given in the book when you don't have a diagram to help you. And, I mean, some some opening analysis is, is quite deep. I think it's really difficult to do that. It's much, much more efficient to do that online. In other parts, however, I think working with a, with a book and with, with, with real pieces and, and a board can be pretty beneficial, in particular when we're talking about uh, more complex middle game ideas. Yeah, If you take a book, which is fantastic and certainly... Um, mentioned a lot on the podcast. I think it, it was mentioned a lot. The first book by Boris Gelfand, the positional decision making in chess. Yeah, a really, really great book on positional chess. Um, this is just ideal, really. To yeah, you you make a, a good uh, I know uh, mug of coffee or tea or whatever you you like. Yeah, you sit down at a board, you you put the pieces on, and then you really do it at your own pace and enjoy really great explanations. And I think. This is something that can be done very well on a on a real chessboard, but just the rote learning of moves or certain variations, uh, it, it's just much better online. Yeah. In, in this case, you know, if you ask me um, about the print books that I'm still, of course, producing, I did the Keep It Simple E4 and the Keep It Simple D4 is is currently at the printer actually as we speak. So. 
when the podcast is actually released, it could be even available to order. Um, I'm not really doing this, um, to be perfectly honest, uh, for much of a, let's say, uh, financial reasoning. Like It really takes time to convert a Chessable course into a print book. It takes a lot of time, actually more than you might think. Um, I'm, I'm basically doing that for the fans because wow. I, I always get people that ask me, hey, you, you need to make a print book because I like print books. And I really I thought twice if I should do keep it simple D4 as a print book because it's, it's, it's rather a lot of work. And it's not work that I enjoy very much, <laughs> to be honest. It's very technical, you know. Yeah. You have a you have a certain format, like a computer PGN format, and you have to really get this into into a word processing software. And you, it's it's ah, uh, it's for me personally, I hate this kind of work. I really I don't like it. And I was really thinking, should I do this again? But mm, people could ask me again and again. Uh, yeah, I want a real book in my hands. And then, okay, let's do it, yeah? And um, this is why Keep It Simple D4 is, again, going to be a print book. It's not clear uh, what's happening with the Magnus course because this is a tad more complicated in terms of copyright ownership, you know? Oh, okay. Why, why is that? Um, honestly, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how the actual situation is there because we have different parties involved. Yeah, we have Chessable, Chess24, me and um, it's also the question: How how should a print book be done with this kind of with this kind of content? It, it's not going to be. Um, it's just not as large in terms of you know, in terms of lines and so on. Um, the, the the best way to say it it's it's undecided. Okay. <laughs> in in some cases, uh, it was um, like with keep it simple D four. When I started this project, it was clear that we make a book out of it. Because it's a t- it's a twin, it's a twin to the E4 book, mm-hmm. and um, it was really like when I had the E4 book uh, out, that was the first day <laughs> that was released. Uh, I, people called me actually. Uh, yeah, I play D4. I cannot use this. <laughs> you need yeah. to do. You, you need to do another one. <laughs> and and that was pretty much a given that this would be done. But uh, we with the Magnus book, uh, that that wasn't really a thought from the beginning. So it could happen for sure, but. Um, it's not um it's not clear yet okay that's interesting because my first thought when i saw it was like this this would be a big seller if it were a print book although it's also interesting to me to hear that people still request opening books because obviously here on perpetual chess we love chess books we talk about them all the time but but i agree with you that uh opening books op- books about openings in particular are better suited to online i think every other aspect of chess uh you could argue either way um, although certainly something like 100 end games you must know is great for for chessable and stuff like that, but um, openings in particular, I mean, it's just it just seems like you're wasting your time if you're using a paper book. It's it's really it's really sometimes um, you know when when I'm recognizing that um, over and over is when I'm writing something myself and I'm I'm using print books as reference. Yeah, because you have to check what other guys wrote before you, or let's say um, for the it's for for the Sicilian course, I needed to check the recommendations of people like Neji in, in in their Sicilian books or John Shaw in their playing E4 books and so on. And I had to look at those books. And it's I'm not dissing the authors; I'm just dissing the format. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it just a bit it's just a bit strange sometimes. You have this, you know. 
a maze of variations and like, okay, where exactly is, is that what I'm looking at? And it's really difficult sometimes to, to, to I mean, I really see at this moment um, or at this particular moment how much better um, a well thought out online platform is for that. I think for openings and for basic endings. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's ideal. It's yeah. really ideal. Um, or, and it's in tactics. Yeah. Tactics, I think is also, you can argue that tactic trainers are probably more effective than like having a print book and then, okay, you, with a print book and you just have a list of, let's say, chess diagrams, puzzles that you solve. It's kind of similar to, to online, but it's not going to be advantageous to have it, to have it in print. I think, um, um, for those, the decision is pretty clear for some other for some other books, I think it's not as clear that it's kind of maybe a matter of taste for for some people. But I think um, what uh, Han wrote that it's a, no, that was from Andre. Andre, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think they're a dying breed at all. Um, if you, what I know, what I heard, what I hear is that the um, book sales are not going down. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good thing, of course. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy that people um, people get um, get books and 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 tr- try to. Um, try to 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 learn chess and learn learn want to learn to play better, um, but um, I think in general there should be a bit of a shift to to online content. It, it, it's certainly happening. What you also mentioned is uh, playing a lot online, like Blitz and Bullet. I'm not really, I don't really think that Bullet helps all that much. Right. <laughs> um, um, even though I'm guilty of playing. Too much one plus one. That that's my my time sometimes. I, I've I've been there. I'm a recovering addict. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really happy. I was I was of it for one year. Yeah, uh-huh. One year, and uh, then during uh, really one of those working sessions for that was I think for the D4 book, I really felt like ah, I need to take a break. And then I was firing up and then like one plus one, and then I was there again for thirty minutes. Like, and no, what did I do? That was a waste of time. Right. Yeah. But okay, I think um, on the other hand, if you take a little bit longer online, let's say five minute blitz or rapid games better even, they can be useful. They can yeah. be useful to yeah. check openings, test out things. Uh, yeah, and, and and just have like material, like your own games to draw conclusions from. Because oftentimes the type of mistake that you're making is, is the same in every time control. Yeah. It's really the same thing. I mean, so, if if you're really really bad, yeah, let's say at uh, at, at at end games, you're going to be bad in tournament chess and bad in, in blitz. I mean, it's just like it's the same thing. Yeah, that's a really and good point. And you can you can draw conclusions um, in some way. I mean, if you're generally able to draw conclusions, this is sometimes a big problem that people have a pretty wrong, um, yeah, self diagnosis of themselves, and this is where. Um, by the way, the point of coaches come in. Yeah? Are they are they necessary? Mm, necessary is strong, but certainly helpful. Yeah. And speaking of um, categorizing your games into types of mistakes, Christoph, I know that you you were really insightful in that in our first conversation. And the other thing that you said that I think about all the time, and I sort of feel like, or in quote to my students, and feel like I should be paying you royalties on, is just that the chess is a game of mistakes; that it's always decided by some sort of mistake, even when there's tactics. So I, I think of you a lot, even uh, even even when we're not um, conversing. Yeah, the the that is. I think that was one of the one of the um, 
more uh, in-depth uh, talking points uh, that we had in the first interview. Yeah. I also think about that. I didn't re re-listen um, the first one. I thought about it, but I just didn't have the time. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no need to rehash it too much. I just wanted to give you credit while I have you here. Um, uh, so... Speaking so while we're on the topic of uh of chess improvement and chess books, um, do you have you seen any other books since we spoke last? I, I know that you recommended um the classic uh Sharashevsky book Endgame Strategy last time we talked mm -hmm. and mentioned a few other classics. Is there anything that's caught your eye in the past few years? Yeah, I mentioned the Gelfand book already. This is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, the positional decision-making uh, decision making in chess. He also had the tactical decision-making, that was also good, but I thought not as stellar. I think um, great explanations really are more suitable for strategically focused books, yeah, where you really get, get to learn just sometimes how a simple sentence can capture the essence of a position. Uh, this is something that is really fascinating. And, and if you have a really good good book on middle games, there was one one instance uh, in the Galfin book where he um, made it very clear um, that you don't need a grand plan. Like, how do you win the game? You don't need to know that during the game. You just need to know the next step. You, you need to just figure out, is there a way forward for me in this position? Can I do something? And then you do that, and then it's then you see where it leads to. You don't need to figure out the whole path through the jungle. You just have to right. cut the next tree, let's say. And these little things, they, they can be really revelations for, for players. Yeah, I've done this little part, for example, with many students. And it was, uh, for some people, they really try to figure out during the game how I'm going to win. And that is really not important. You just have to check out what the next step is in your in your potential progress in the game. That, of course, heavily applies for strategically focused positions. If you just have, have to yeah, calculate your way through a mating attack, it's a different thing. Right. But if you just have to make a long-term decision, should I place the pawns like that or should I trade this rook, things like that, you just have to figure it out then you just have to figure out the next decision. And often, as Gelfand put it, um, you just need positions that that have options for you, where you can do certain things. If you can do some, some things, you can make some headway on one side of the board, or you can change the position, for better or worse maybe, but you can change it, you're often the one who's having an initiative or you have, who's having an advantage, opposed to the side who can just sit and wait. And these are really insights that help a lot. And there, this is the kind of thing where I said it's good to sit there, yeah, with a good, I don't know, yeah, what you what your um, preferred uh, beverage is, and you <laughs> just kind of think, yeah, this is really really good stuff. This is good insight yeah, to to learn. Um, yeah, th this book uh, is was really one of the highlights of the last couple of years. Um, a book that I also heavily recommend is the Game Changer book. Yeah, that, so good. Um, that is really, really great. The only um, thing that I have to say is, and maybe it's just me, but did you understand how Alpha Zero worked? No, not completely. <laughs> um, not really, right? Yeah. I mean, and I was thinking, and and I mean, I have a bit of a background in IT for when I was just working my regular office job, and uh, I was I was not a, a programmer. I'm, I, I I cannot code, but. I was working with programmers all of the time, like giving them, um, let's say, the instruction for what to program, so to say. So I can kind of relate to many things IT, and I didn't understand it at all. 
I mean, how a neural network works and so on. Yeah. I was like, hmm, am I so stupid to understand that? Or is that really, really complicated? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, oh, man, the, it's really complicated. Yeah, the whole yeah. Monte Carlo thing. Um, it is yeah. really, it was really difficult. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, I think what everybody can take from the book, even even somebody who is really not a computer person at all, is how beautiful the games were. Yeah. They were just so great to watch. I mean, after um, we, we got those games, I was really just like some weeks after, I was um, doing, uh, I was having a lecture at my club. I'm doing a monthly lecture at my chess club. And uh, of course, I okay, and I, I, I titled this one, yeah, a computer that plays like Tal. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that was, uh, and it really is like that. It's just like super, super spectacular. Um, and this is just also where the book shines. It's just like the subject is so fantastic that you have so many great games to look at and, and great insight also. And this is, of course, more, it's, it's very sophisticated, um, that insight, how AlphaZero um, evaluates certain positions in opposed to how a traditional AlphaBeta engine evaluates it. This is very nerdy stuff already, but it's very fascinating if you really deal with that every single day. But even if you're not into that, you have the great games with, with great annotations. And this is also what uh, what Matthew Sadler, and I'm not sure who did what, and what Natasha Regan did, what Matthew did, but I think it's just, they're just wonderfully wonderfully annotated. Yeah, they really yeah. are. Yeah, so it, it, that's, that's really a great book. Um, and uh, I wonder if there was something else. I have to say that I really uh, am down on my chess book consumption. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so you seem pretty I'm, busy. <laughs> yeah, since I'm writing so much myself, I'm really not. Um, I'm getting um, the the. If you look at opening theory, I'm getting the big books. Let's say because I feel I need them as reference, like those GM repertoires and so on. Yeah, I'm getting those. But uh, I'm not really sitting down much with, with an opening book nowadays and learn stuff. If I want to learn an opening, I'm writing about it myself. Yeah. And I noticed uh, your your presentation, I know you do some banter blitzes for Chess24, but your, <laughs> your YouTube content has slowed down as well. Yeah, extremely. Unfortunately, really. But it's it's kind of difficult to, to, to get it all, all together and uh, make it, I, I mean, I also have reduced um, um, my the amount of lessons that I give. Really, used it uh, a lot. Nowadays, I'm let's say eighty percent of the time is content creation for for Chesterbook mostly, or um, at times for for print book versions of the of the Chesterbook courses. This is more than eighty percent uh, nowadays, and most of the time it's not forty hours a week, but rather rather more. Wow! It, it's difficult to get um, get um, the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, get it uh, to some to some steady flow. I, yeah. I, I want to try that more, really, because this is where I'm coming from, and I'm still enjoying doing those lighthearted videos. I really do. I just did one today um, after a really long break, and uh, I hope that this is um, something that I can do um, more frequently for the channel. I mean, I'm on pretty frequently yeah, due to the shows and so on, but it's not so much on my my, my home channel. Yeah. So to say, I want to do a little bit more there, but mm. it's um, again difficult to to handle. I just wonder about the books. Well, if there was something else that I particularly liked, yeah, it's it's a tough question. I didn't really think about this that much before, but I mean, w what I told you is definitely what came to our mind first. So these are probably the ones that stand out. Um, 
at yeah. least. Well, I don't think I, I don't think perpetual chess listeners are hurting for book recommendations. <laughs> we that's, keep, that's definitely true. We I mean, keep them pretty busy. So yeah, I I actually did a huge uh, re-listen, let's say, of or oh, the re-listen is the wrong term. I mean, uh, like binge listening is probably the right <laughs> the right word of of your podcast in recent in recent weeks actually, because I found a new um, way to combine uh, listening and doing something else. I'm now listening through the uh, to the podcast while cooking oh cool yeah yeah this is not too bad i just put the headphones on and switch it on and i mean many episodes are like roughly one hour yeah and that pretty much is uh, yeah cooking a really well thought out meal and eating it yeah <laughs> so this this fits very well and uh, i just listened to an episode uh two hours ago let's say before oh, cool. we <laughs> while cooking so it's uh you have to find your 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 time spots yeah <laughs> yeah well i'm honored that that you're that players of your caliber i mean i i'm i want everyone all chess fans i want this to be accessible to all chess fans but sometimes that means um uh i'm not i'm i'm always pleasantly surprised when even players of your caliber with your knowledge of the industry are still able to to learn from it hey, it's very, really great i mean there are many episodes where um, I'm, I'm really excited about the guests, you know, people like Tukmakov or Kamsky. It's yeah. like just great to get, get them just to listen to them. You never have that. Yeah, it exactly. Doesn't it doesn't happen. So this is just great. But I also um, enjoyed very much to get some insight into, um, into areas of chess that you really don't know much about. Uh, let's say uh, the adult improvers. I, I listened to a couple of those. I found that very interesting. Also for my chess teaching. Yeah, so, so what, what, what do other people do? Yeah, yeah. it was very, very interesting. And so uh, it, uh, it's really a wide range. Um, and there were also some interviews. I really don't quite remember the names. Uh, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's good stuff. I've listened to most of the episodes, I think. Yeah, well, you were the... you were the strongest player who ever told me that they enjoyed the, the adult improver episodes. I mean, they're very, they're amongst my most popular, so <laughs> that I'm always happy to do them, but, but that I, I was happy to hear that. And I also think it speaks well upon you that you don't have sort of like a, an elitist attitude. You're, you, you see the, the full spectrum of the chess world. Yeah, I was amazed by some of those episodes, really. Uh, I remember it was that, uh, what was the name? Megan Shen. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, she told, I think what she said is like, she must play more chess in a year than I played like in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And works full time. It, it's crazy. It, it's fantastic. I'm like, oh my God, how can you be so dedicated? I mean, it's, I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a complete nutcase myself, just differently. I yeah, was with, with writing and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I can write 12 hours a day and at the end of the day, uh, I, tr I relax. And then like five minutes later, I put on some chess video. I must be crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, it is different. No, but it, it was interesting. There's so many interesting stories there that you that you can listen to so um yeah i think i've listened to um almost all of them that's a, that's really cool I, i'm mm -hmm. really glad to hear that and i'm sure if any of our previous adult improver guests are listening they'll they'll be happy to hear that as well um yeah and hopefully you get some useful info for your students um, um in terms of books by the way i just wanted to say um one one thing that really um stood out to me in recent years when i was teaching um, and that also relates to this topic of making mistakes and mistakes as part of the game. Um, I think that modern books really have um, come a long way. They are much, in many cases, much, much better than the older ones. And I think one, one part of it is that nowadays, I think 
the approach is a little bit more scientific at times. Mm -hmm. We want to we want to get a little bit closer to the absolute truth of what happened in a game. And if you look at some older annotations, and we don't even have to go back to whatever, yeah, to Alucard or so, and we don't have to go back that far, there is not really, I think, a consistent search for finding out why a certain game ended in the way that it ended. Um, I can give you one example. And uh, th this was really striking to me. Um, for, um, for my students, I have um, a lesson that I'm doing quite often, like I prepared this and I have done this with many different, uh, diff different people and groups. I prepared some end games played by Ulf Andersson, yeah, the Swedish legend. By the way, this is also somebody I would love to have on the podcast. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't. He wasn't requested all that much, and I don't know if he would do it. But it would be like, wow, would be great. Anyway, so I was looking at Ulf Andersson's endgames, and I picked out um, some, maybe half a dozen endgames, and um, there was one that I found particularly interesting. That was played against Robert Hübner, the German grandmaster in, I think, 1981, Johannesburg. They had a match there of, of, I don't know, six games. And it was a rook ending that started on move 23. So they, they traded down the whole board yeah, to just rooks and, um, I think, seven pawns each. And a position where you could easily just make a draw. But they didn't. They played on, and Ulf went on to win the game in a very instructive, nice fashion. But... I had to, I found this book in uh, this game in a book, and amazingly, in that book, Black Hübner, who lost, did not get a single question mark. He didn't even get a critical remark about any of his moves. It was just like, okay, here Hübner prevents this and that. Here he does this and that. It was mostly descriptive of what he was doing, but there was never um, a single case of saying, well. This was not the best defense because White now makes a certain progress here and there. It was just not a critical way of trying to figure out how did White win. Uh, Wolf's moves were often, let's say, applauded. Like, oh, this is a good move. That's nice. But how exactly did it come that this good move was possible? It wasn't explained at all. And I was pretty frustrated. And I wanted to find out what was wrong. And I then did a lesson. Um, I did this in a lesson. And together with the student who was already a strong player, we found that at a certain point, um, there, was a, there was a mistake that we thought would be probably decisive. And it wasn't in the book that I had. And then I said, okay, let's look at other books. Because the, this, this is kind of, this, this, this position is, is often discussed in a book. And then I found an older book by John Nunn, who's a very good author. And he also didn't tell me what was wrong. It was crazy. I thought he must he must somehow get to that point where what did Hübner do wrong? And there is not not a single point of criticism of Black's moves. It was like um, Summer Wolf yeah created the win out of nothing, like a miracle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not happening. It's really not happening. There must have been something wrong. And finally, in the third book that I was looking at, I, I found the game again. And that was an actually a pretty good book that is from Amateur to I Am from uh, Jonathan Hawkins. Yeah. And he had this end game in the book. And, and I was really so relieved. He had exactly the same move as the decisive mistake that the student and I thought was the final mistake. The important mistake that Hübner, Hübner made. Um, and finally, and that is, the, that is the most recent book of all those books. Right. And he, he got there. 
he got data. Okay, this is a question mark, and this is actually actually where you learn something from the thing, because Hübner, what he did is he allowed one of his pawns to be set as a long-term weakness. And funny enough, the final move of the game is the move where the white rook takes that weak pawn. So it, it, it's kind of possible to figure it out if you really go there. And I think the older you go in, in the history of the books, they, the more they have this kind of attitude that the winner, and this is instructive, don't get me wrong, where the winner is creating something out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And it's you have to get more to the point to 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 understand what went wrong for the losing side, and of course you need to see how to exploit the mistakes. But you have to finally get to the point where okay, what was actually the mistake? And this is I think getting better and better. If you look at a book like the Gelfand book, he's totally totally on that page. Yeah, he has the 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 the, the question marks that are real, the, really the mistakes. It's all beautifully balanced like you see um what the what the loser of the game did wrong and what the winner did well and not so well so it's a much more i think uh, scientific and and more correct approach so I'm, I'm really glad that it's getting there but it's 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 like this is some something that you have to keep in mind also when you look at older books ask yourself is that really is it clear to you why the the guy who lost the game why he lost Right. Is that clear to you now? Do you really? And and it's just like quite very often, just out of courtesy, people are not mentioning that. That is very very much apparent if you look at really old games like Alucard. There's there's a famous game, of course, that that many people will know. Um, Bodvinik Capablanca. This is a classic from I think is it Nottingham, or is it the Avro tournament? The winning move is Bishop A3. I think this is a a game that people maybe have seen. It's uh, the win that Botvinnik had over Capablanca. And I've seen, I've seen, I think, two or three YouTube videos on that. And it's great to to feature the game because it's a great game. But there's not a single mention of a mistake by Black. He lost. Why? Why did he lose? Nobody knows. And you can criticize people, even if they are one of the greatest players of the world, of all time. They they are perfectly aware of of their shortcomings. Everybody is. If you ask uh, the top players today, they know that they make mistakes. So, Christoph, we had the unusual uh, case where the recording dropped basically mid sentence, but you you had just mentioned that um, modern players are of course aware and not afraid to point out their own mistakes. But that's changed a little bit uh, as compared to older books. And you you uh, you then just mentioned to me that you you've seen a couple other books that you want to mention. Yeah, exactly. Because just when when it came to that point that, that this this type of uh, more objective criticism of of your own mistakes and so on, this is something that was really um, um, standing out in in one book that I really liked and um, should be considered by many, many players uh, willing to improve. That is uh, Sam Shanklin's book, Small Steps to Chess. Small Steps to Chess Improvement, is it the right word? I think to Giant Improvement. Maybe. To Giant Improvement, to Giant, exactly. Yeah, it has this funky moon landing picture, right. Um, this is really great, I think. It was really one of the highlights for me of, of the last year. Um, he had um, really excellent material there compiled. Uh, many of his own games, many of his mistakes, uh, some of his 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 his, his, his be, uh, some of his uh, uh, best moments. It's a compilation of of everything, and is very self-critical at times. With really, I think, uh, um, 
it's really tough to describe how he is uh, phrasing this sometimes. So like, uh, it's just, uh, just a nicer way of writing. Okay, I'm an idiot sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just really, really nice to read. It's very, very, very honest, very humble. Um, and it's, I think it's really, really um, a, a, a well, well done book. I really liked it a lot. Um, and he's uh, currently the the release of the second book is just around the corner i think yeah exciting it's it's just around the corner it should be on chessable in a couple of days and this is the i think the first one that will be on chessable and print at the same time hmm, that'll be it interesting was a, it was a i think a developed um developed at the same time sam was uh, actually uh, in the netherlands to, to record the videos and uh this is going to be on uh, very soon, I think in a couple of days. Uh, and the print book also is going to be out. It's a successor. Also about pawn play, I think. Just a bit, a bit, um, just a bit more. Yeah, and pawn play is, of course, very important. And the other book, that is not something that was ever mentioned, but I really liked it. Um, and that is a book by Tibor Karoli, the, the Hungarian uh, chess author and um, and uh, theoretician. He wrote um, a really nice little book. It's not such a huge uh, huge tome, um, and it's called Endgame Virtuoso Magnus Carlsen, where he mm-hmm. looked at all of Magnus's endgames. Really, I think all of them. And uh, what I liked about this book a lot, actually, and uh, it sounds maybe odd, is that it does not have so many variations. It just is a, a compilation of Magnus's endgames, and it just gives very, very um, nicely done, in my view, the the key moments and the key decisions, like what piece to trade, what piece to keep. You should place the pawns in this and that way. And it's not like bombarding you with, like, okay, here's a rook endgame, and there's a 20-move line that now was calculated. It's not like that. It's just trying to show key moments and key decisions. What is a good piece and a bad piece? So I think it's a very accessible book for many people. And um, I think um, there are just many fans out there of the world champion. So if you are, if you like Magnus in general and like his games, that is a great way to uh, combine that with improving your endgame skills. I think it's a very nice book um, also to give to, um, yeah, even to junior players. Often they are fans of Magnus, and they are not really fans of endgames. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So you have a good one here. Look at this. Magnus is playing very well in the endgame. Yeah, maybe you enjoy this uh, to look through yourself, or you can, of course, do it together with a student. It can be a way to get endgame strategy, let's say, to players who are maybe not so much keen on doing that. So, and I really felt the simplicity uh, was was key. It's not trying to uh, completely overload you with details that you that you probably cannot understand anyway, depending on who's reading it. So it just just gets points across, I think, very nicely. And it's nicely written. Carly is actually a really good writer. Um, he's not mentioned a lot, I think, on the podcast. He also has done a really great two-volume uh, book about uh, Karpov strategic wins. This is this is older. This is why I didn't mention it before because that is from a couple of years ago. But uh, this is really great. Two books with all Kar- of Karpov's strategically focused wins, which um, he had many of. <laughs> so um, there's lots of great material and uh, I think great annotation. This is on a much higher level than the Magnus book, of okay. course. But it's something that if you are, let's say, already 1900, 2000, something like that, and you feel you want to do something about your strategic um, abilities and you want to do it based on games, the cup of books by Carly, good stuff. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And Christoph, really I'm I'm almost ready to let you go. But one one follow up question on end games. I'm I'm curious personally because if I if and whenever I would whenever I get to working on my game, end games are going to be a priority. Um, and I do you th- how important do you think it is to actually drill the basic end games like you mentioned a uh, 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 hundred end games you must know on mm-hmm. chessable or for the more advanced player Dvoretsky's end game manual how important is it to actually drill specific positions as opposed to sort of appreciating transitions and attacking weaknesses like in the Caroli books you mentioned um, mm-hmm. and, and end game strategy and books like that uh, that's a really tough one like if you want to decide, yeah, you have yeah. a certain amount of time. Do you do you do the one thing or do you do the other thing? Pooh, it depends a little. Uh, it's it, it's really tough to say. I think if you if you let's say look at the one hundred end games, yeah, and uh, I think you could probably get by with only knowing forty of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and still be somewhat okay. I think you're not going to do well without knowing let's say the concept of opposition in a pawn ending or without the lucina position this is something that wouldn't work <laughs> but um some of the more sophisticated basic ones let's say you probably can get by without because they won't happen that often um in general i think the 100 end games is something that you should know it, it really makes a lot of sense let's say maybe not every one of them and you will forget some it is just what's going to happen but this is definitely what every really ambitious player should know um the 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 general decision making like what to trade what not to trade um this is also something that um you know if you if you study that and you get to a certain point of understanding a certain level of understanding you can make this decision uh, often instantly because of experience and intuition like okay this is not such a great piece i should trade it you don't need a long time for that so once you have developed that you are able to apply that on on almost every time control but for the very basic ones you have the issue that if the time control is really fast like it's a rapid game from the get-go or you're in the final stages of a classical game where you're also down um it's very difficult if you don't know the basic ending to calculate yeah. Because you don't, you cannot base it on some general assumption. You have to calculate, and sometimes you can figure it out if you have enough time. But if you don't have enough time, you really have to just know it. There's just really no way way around that. So, I think um, it's it's equally important. It's it's about equally important. Okay. You, so. need, you need you need a bit of time to get to the general understanding, and then. Um, maybe the thing with the general understanding is something that you acquire once and don't lose <laughs> and the, the end game ability, you could forget some of those things. Yeah, right? for sure. And, and, and it makes sense maybe to repeat them. Yeah. That, that can be certainly, um, one thing. Um, I wanted to, or do you have some other questions? Um, please uh, go ahead. But no, no, go ahead. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to mention is, um, we have one um, potential guest for your show, right? With Anderson. We, we got there basically yeah. by coincidence. Um, another guest that I would love to have on your show, and I don't know if this is uh, possible, but uh, have you thought about getting Arthur Yusupov on your show? Yeah. I mean, I've dreamed of it, of course. That that would be incredible. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, maybe you should try. I mean, um, I um, got to know him a little bit this year because we did, um, I think, two or three rounds of uh, live on-site commentary for the German Youth Championships. I had this really um, a very nice job this year. I did, um, this is a nine-round tournament yeah, with um, starting from under 10 and it goes like under 10, under 12 and so on till under 18. So it's a huge event and we had a live um, uh, commentary on site and broadcast uh, on the net. And uh, I always had, I was the host and I had co-commentators, which was really great. I, I got to know uh, Vincent Keimer, the German prodigy, a little yeah. bit. Um, we did two rounds together, and it was amazing because I always had to slow him down. Yeah, <laughs> huh, right. Uh, he, he was just like spitting out variation after variation, and uh, I always said, "Ah, Vincent, you know, um, can you please tell the tell the audience why you did that?" Uh, it, he was was very quick with everything, and uh, obviously a really, a really uh, uh, great talent. Um, but I also had the privilege uh, to do two or three rounds with Arthur, and he's such a, a great person, uh, and he would be. Um, pro one of the, I think uh, one of the guests that I would really love to have on your show, and he's probably has so much to tell. It's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be very 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 long and rich conversation. Yeah, he has uh, written so much and so on. Uh, it was very very uh, very, and he's such a nice guy. I mean, I was really in awe how how he can be such a nice person. Yeah, uh, yeah. during during the during the broadcast uh, when we when we did the commentary, at one point he said, you know. I have to leave. I have to comfort all the children that just lost. That, that he's, <laughs> that he, but he had uh, many, many students, playing, right. of course. And uh, and he said, I have to comfort the the, the little girls that they cry now after <laughs> their games. And he really, meant, he really meant it. It was yeah. not fun. It was not fun. So, wow. um, yeah, if you can get Arthur on the show, that yeah. would be we'll, we'll put a, put a good word in next time you see him because <laughs> that would be amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I can get, get the contact uh, going. And I know if he would be willing or, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But um, he's a really, really great guy. And uh, very much, uh, it was a really memorable, memorable experience because when, when I started chess in, in the late 1980s, um, he was um, really fighting for the highest highest titles. Yeah? He was in the semifinal of the World Championship match cycle. Yeah? He beat uh, Ivan Shuk in that fantastic rapid game, yeah? that the best rapid game ever, Brussels 91. And uh, that was stuff that I watched live back then. Yeah? And it was really uh, meeting one of the heroes of, of youth, so to say. Yeah? And then it was a very, very um, um, memorable experience for me. And uh, this will probably happen next year as well i think they want me back to do this again and uh arthur is always there because he has all those kids right that he um that he um coaches at, at the championship so he will be uh, on again it, it was it was really funny it was really uh, very entertaining very enlightening and it was so great to see that um i mean i'm not completely sure how old he is i think he's i actually looked when you mentioned 1960 uh, right yeah 1960 yeah. yeah so so he's um yeah he's it's close to grandpa level so and, and he's yeah. this, this childish fun f about chess it's so great when he sees a great line that is that he's like ah i have a great line i need to show you huh. and it's, it's just it's just fantastic so wow sounds like really 
quite an really, experience. It was really great. Yeah, it was really great. And also, it is really fun because he has a bit of he has problems with 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 um with the technical side of things. Yeah. Right. So I always have to I have the mouse and I have to put in all the moves that he's that he's uh, giving. It was so much fun. It's like I show you a line, and then he was firing <laughs> out the moves, and I had to enter them, and it was great fun. The audience always loves when when he is on. Yeah, it's really really great. Yeah, okay. so this is a suggestion. Maybe uh, this can happen. It would be uh, pretty much, I think, uh, a highlight to to come. Yeah, that's a great one. As I've mentioned before, I love I love the uh, Soviet era legends. They because they they've got the combination of chess knowledge and stories. And obviously, someone like Yusupov has had so many roles in the chess world. It, that would be amazing. Yeah, it would be it would be it would be it would be good fun. Yeah, I would really um, like to like to listen to that. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, Christoph, uh, congratulations, by the way. I mean, I know that you've been working super hard, so congratulations on, on a, what seems to me like a successful launch. Yeah, um, we're happy with the, with, with the start. It's only out uh, for a couple of days. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, this will be, uh, um, yeah, those courses, they really have a long life cycle. Eh? It will be on for a couple of years, and um, it will also be um, probably... Um, changed over the years. Yeah. yeah. If Magnus, if Magnus plays something else, maybe we'll change some some lines. Yeah, and get more variety in there. This is, of course, also um, a beauty of of online content that it's much easier, of course, to change than a than a print book. Once yeah, it's out, yeah. it's out. Yeah, it's not uh, not dying the day it's born the way uh, an opening yeah, book sometimes a, can be. It's a living product, so to say, and it can it can grow over time and can. Get um yeah can 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 get better over time even if you, um even if if you progress as a writer and kind of have a different perspective on things, I, I nowadays um the 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 initial courses that were written for Chessable in twenty sixteen if I would uh, write them today they would be much different. Yeah, that makes sense. There would, there would be much different. I I just know a little something things a little bit better and you learn with every little thing. This is also very important. Yeah, you should be trying to to draw conclusions from what you do and um for example the 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 d4 book that that i wrote yeah it had um it had chapters that now as i recognize them are a little bit too long and therefore the videos are really long um and this is what we have for example avoided in the magnus book every chapter should have a video that is not longer than roughly an hour yeah or an hour ten or something, which is already quite long. But uh, if you look at the chapters back then for the Defa book, there is one video that is three hours. Wow! Yeah. And this is just—I mean, of course, probably nobody will listen to the three hours in a, in a row. Maybe somebody will do, but you would probably cut it for yourself in in, in some digestible portions. And um, now now I know it's better to have them a little bit shorter. And this is every single, every single experience I think helps to um, make a, a better product. This is what you always should do. Strive to um, get better at, at what you do. Yeah. Way. Well, you were, you were, even when we spoke three years ago, you were already good. So to, to get better is uh is a quite an achievement. Um, so, uh, people know, I, I'll link to your Twitter account, Christoph, of course you're active on Chessable and reachable there. Is there anywhere else? Um, yeah, if, if somebody wants to reach out, it's easiest to, um, to use, um, my webpage. There is a, um, um, a contact sheet um, okay. for me. So, this is probably easiest. I don't really use Twitter. 
Um, I have an account, but I don't look at this all that much. I'm a bit of a social media skeptic. Okay, <laughs> and, good for you. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm always, uh, for the D4 book, I actually locked myself out of Facebook for three months because I thought this could be good, yeah, to save a little bit of time. Uh, and um, after the release, I, I went on there again. And again, I'm thinking, why well, am I just... just why am I not deleting the whole thing? Right, yeah. I yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's really something that um, that people should think of. The, the time they spend on social media can be um, can be terrible, a terrible waste of time. And I don't think in, in many cases it has really, really negative consequences. I think what is pretty harmless is, um, for example, what uh, I just listened to, like two hours ago, I, I listened to a somewhat older interview that you did with... Um, um, did do I get the name right? Tariel Svensson, the the journalist. Yeah, from yeah, Norway. Norwegian, yeah, yeah, journalist. And it was a, around the time of the World Championship match 2018, when you recommended that you during the games uh, one should watch Twitter for for remarks coming by other players or things like that. I mean, this is uh, obviously fun. Yeah, yeah, it, it's all right. But uh, I'm very very skeptical about this whole. Um, let's say influencer business, yeah, people promoting yeah, yeah. stuff on Instagram with their photoshopped pictures and so on. This is not healthy. This is yeah, not healthy at all. Yeah, I agree. It, Just it, Twitter has a special place in my heart, but yeah, definitely uh, be mindful of how you're using social media. There are some things um, that are really, really not, not good and 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 absolutely not helpful in any way. It's just. Um, not um, helping anybody uh, besides the people who earn chunks of money <laughs> for, right, yeah, for exactly. being those uh, whatever influencers or how, however you want to call them. All right. Okay. So don't tweet at Christoph, but I'll link to his, his webpage and you can email him there. And of course, <laughs> check him out on Chessable. I, I would probably get it at some time, but right. <laughs> months, months later. Yeah. Short okay. Well, Christoph, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad to see you doing so well. Um, and, and yeah, keep up the great work. Yeah, you as well. I'm happy to uh, to listen to the new book um, book podcast. Uh, I was actually when I was uh, starting the the one that I started two hours ago, the old one with with Ty Swenson. I was uh, seeing on my mobile a new podcast on Friday, and I was like, hmm, "What is he yeah. doing Friday?" And <laughs> right. I mean, it was exactly the <laughs> the one about the the Tal book, yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for this project. So, yeah, and so many books. I mean, it could keep me busy for a while. So, um, yeah, you go through all the history. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want it to be just historical. I just want uh, anything that's not an opening book or a tactics book. I feel like we can talk about. So, um, yeah, I think the opening book would be pretty dry. I yeah, <laughs> find anything that is really of a historical um, importance. The Tar book is a really good one to start. It is a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, he, he was one of a kind. Okay, well, Christoph, uh, good luck. And thanks again um, for an enlightening and entertaining conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe again in three years. We never that know. would be awesome. Whenever you want. <laughs> Special thanks, as always, to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank everyone who helps spread the word about Perpetual Chess. The ways to do so include writing a positive review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform, telling a friend, spreading the word on social media, all of that stuff helps. But most of all, I want to thank the people who support the show financially. Without you guys, Perpetual Chess would not be possible. So I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities, my PayPal and Patreon, Perpetual Chess 
partners. Here we go. They are extra special thanks to chessable.com and quality chess books and the Capital City Chess Club, Apprentice Twitch channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Kathy Cow, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guvin Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Cromarty, Kelly Palmer, Lone Pine Chess, Lorraine Duray, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Can, my main man Moonmaster 9000, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryan, Todd Kennedy, and I'd also like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Tarakov, Andrew Perry, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalicki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, David Kofer, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of US Chess, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley, CEO of Chessable.com, Daylin Shelton, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, Donnie Ariel, who may be an IM elect or maybe just has the titles, and I'm not sure if that makes him an IM elect, but thank you, Donnie, anyway. Fox Valley Chess Club, Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelde, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Shu, Harish Srinivasan, James Banastia, Jason Onfang, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, JJ Stranad, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Zlosnik, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Larry Reifort, Laura Belyavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Miguel Araspide, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passan, and Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Swanee, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Roy Yearwood, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tomas Kolmanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouz, William H. Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.